Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hey, hello and welcome back to the podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Ferry and of course this is my co-host. And my name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about Guillermo del Toro's spooky film, Crimson Peak. Ghosts are real. That much I know. I've seen them all my life. What you been doing? Edith, this is my sister. I don't think she's the right choice. You have to trust me. Thomas, your bride is frozen. I run your hot bath. the house that are unsafe. What was that? A house as old as this one becomes in time a living thing. Never go below this level. It starts holding on to things. Has anyone died in this house? Specific deaths, violent deaths. In your own best interest, proceed with caution. Keeping them alive when they shouldn't be. If you're here with me, give me a signal. She knows everything. Do we have to do this? Must we? Yes. You have no idea what they do. What do you want? I have to leave. You have nowhere else to go. This is your home now. Okay, do you have a synopsis for us, Monsieur I Butterstone? Do. I do. Um, so Crimson Peak is a, what year did it come out? I should have known this ahead of time. It is 2015, written and directed by Guillermo del Toro, and it stars Mia Wasikowski, Jessica Chastain, Tim Hiddleston, some other people. And the IMDb synopsis is, in the aftermath of a family tragedy, an, an, an aspiring author is torn between love for her childhood friend and the temptation of a mysterious outsider. Trying to escape the ghosts of her past, she is swept away to a house that breathes, bleeds, and remembers. Da, da, da. That's well written. I yeah, it's not like exactly it what I would say it's the about. tone of the deal, but but um but yeah, it's that's accurate. Uh I now you had seen this and recommended that we do it. I I had not seen it before. Yeah, I saw it in the theater and then had not visited it since, I I don't believe. But so why don't you go ahead since you were new to this film? Maybe say what you thought this was going to be versus what it is. Partly. I, th I think yes. it's interesting. What I thought it was going to be, uh, just for anybody who's joining us for the first time, perhaps spoilers, we spoil these movies. So if you don't want to find out what happens in Crimson Peak, then please don't listen. And you can watch this on Netflix. If you have Netflix, you won't we can't have to watch it can't watch this on Netflix. No, no. You can Crimson watch Crimson Peak, Peak on Netflix. One day, maybe we'll be on maybe. Netflix. And hey. just not ever have to work again. Just you, you can watch us on YouTube and you yes. can listen to us as a podcast. So you just got so many choices. Um, if anyone works for Netflix and they would like to have a movie review, 
show on Netflix. We are available. It's a novel idea. Two middle-aged white guys talking about movies. I mean, <laughs> we'll do it cheap, too. I don't know about you, Chris, but I would do it cheap. I'd do it. I wouldn't do it for... Well, I am doing it for free, so I don't know what I'm talking about. I'd do it on Netflix for cheap. Yes. Anywho, uh, what did I expect? I expected... Um, Something absolutely hair-raising, and what I got in retrospect was probably, I should have predicted it more from Guillermo, Guillermo <clears throat> del Toro. Um, what I did get was the shivers a lot, like, you know, that kind of flesh-crawling, oh, no, like, I get that a lot. Um, and the so there's a lot of ghosts in this. It's basically a ghost movie. And the ghosts are very scary. And at some points, I actually thought too over the top. Does it does that? Let me unpack that a little bit. So the first time we see a ghost, it's her remembering. She says the ghosts are real. And I remember the first time I saw a ghost and her mother had just died. And her mother's ghost shows up to say beware of crimson peak which as a little girl she doesn't have any idea what that portends but her mother is terrifying <laughs> this is her mother so she's and yes it's victorian so she's in this huge shroud of like they have big shoulders and you know big poofy dress shoulders and veils and but her mother's face is like all decomposed and mm-hmm. you know it's like there's just it's like, okay, she's going to be dressed as a Victorian ghost. Check. Okay, we got that. All in black now. Check. Got it. Veil. Can't really see her face. Totally. Got it. I want her face to be like really desiccated, but in like a scary way. Uh, okay. Okay. We can do that. You're the boss. I want her fingers to be really crazy long, like inhumanly long and kind of wave around and weird. All right. And then I want little like spurts of smoke to be coming off of her. Like she's just got shot with some sort of, you know, phantasmal Tommy gun or something. Okay. I mean, it just feels like how many ornaments can you put on this Christmas tree? So I love Guillermo del Toro. I love his design. I just thought that the ghost effects were trying so hard to be horrifying that they overshot the mark a little bit sometimes the sets are gorgeous the performances are great um you know i love tom hiddleston i like everybody i saw in this was good uh, um it was a little stiff but then the period in which it's shot is supposed to be you know mm-hmm I mean, uh, by the end, you know, there's a twist. I guess we should just sort of, should we get to that or should we just address it? So, sure. So, I mean, the girl marries Tom Hiddleston as an outsider. Daddy doesn't like him. They move back to his place, which is bonkers. It's like apparently he, their family fortune was based on mining red clay, which is great for making bricks in the industrial age. Hey, terrific but the whole house is built on basically this i mean it is blood red clay and it oozes blood red down the walls and through the floorboards right the house is sinking so you step too hard in the middle floorboard and like this basically it looks like blood comes oozing up between the floorboard (laughs) and he takes her back to his crazy house which is full of ghosts and the ghosts seem overtly malicious and they're terrifying to her. And he's got a sister who is hostile. I, oh, it's a, that's not a sharp enough word for what her mm-hmm. sister is, uh, his sister is. But it turns out that the ghosts are the ghosts of the murdered previous mother and I think there's a couple of other ghosts involved and it's the sister. That's the crazy one who comes after you with, she's trying to poison her and then she comes after her with a knife and there's nowhere you say, well, why didn't she run? There's really nowhere to go. Like they're it's in the middle miles of the from area. town and the town is not much of a town. 
and she's weak because she's been poisoned. So as she figures out what's going on, it's a huge old creaky spooky house with lots of locked doors. It's very gothic feeling. And I, I thought it was good, but I felt it was a little long. Like I, it's almost two hours. Yeah. I got a little tired. I'm like, okay, we get it. It was his sister. So, and then, and then it goes on for, then she unlocks another door and you're like, yeah, okay. So the sister killed everyone. So can we, nope. (laughs) Yeah. No, there's more, more to unpack. (laughs) To flesh the story out a little bit more. So they, so Tom Hiddleston and Jessica Chastain are con artists who have, they've run this con at least once before, maybe more where definitely more because they've been to Glasgow and all of the, that's right. That's right. But they get uh, at least what they've done with Mia Wasikowski and a, and a previous person is they um, in this case, he marries her and pretends to be in love with her so he can get her family fortune. They murder her father or the sister murders the father and they want to get the, family fortune but the kind of little bit of the twist is this time he legitimately falls in love with with her um so even though he's this bad person he's not quite as bad as what the sister is she kind of controls things and they're having this incestuous relationship but as far as the the stiffness it definitely takes a while to get going i think me watching the, the second time, I just wanted to fast forward to when they get to the house. There's about eh, maybe 30 minutes or so of setup before they actually get to the house and things really get spooky, you know. But what's really impressive about this movie to me is, you know, you mentioned the sets. And obviously this house is so weird and it's falling apart that, <laughs> yeah, there's a, a view of the house behind you. Um and, you know, obviously you can't imagine someone in real life living in the house where this stuff is oozing down the walls and everything. There's a hole in the ceiling. There's I mean, a hole in the ceiling. A huge gaping. It's like the place is literally falling apart. But it's a bit like, and I, I didn't have, I don't remember having this feeling the first time around, but the second time I definitely got in some different ways uh, vibes of The Shining and, you know, cause it's the shining's a ghost story and there's snow in this, you know, not snow all the time, but especially in that this house seems so much like a real place that you could go and see, but it's not, they built the house for the movie, much like the overlook and the shining. And it's just like, these sets are unbelievable. Um, it's just incredible. I think however much this movie cost, all the money is on screen. And I think even if the costumes so for, are gorgeous too, the just costumes gorgeous. are gorgeous. And as you said, the acting is really great. And just Tom Hiddleston is one of these actors where I would just watch him in anything. He's just really great. I mean, everybody's good in this, but, but I, I think he's especially fantastic. And I think for maybe, when this movie came out, I think there was some disappointment because people thought, I think some people thought this was going to be a really hardcore horror film. And it's not, it's, it's, it's a ghost story. It's a mystery and it's a bit of a love story. There's some, there's some really violent scenes in this and some blood, but I think even if you maybe aren't totally sucked in by the story, the visuals in this are so fantastic. I said last week that, so I saw this in the theater and I said that I feel like this is one of the best looking films that I've ever seen in a theater. And so this is one of these that you don't want to watch on your phone or an iPad or something like this. Watch it on the biggest screen that, you know, if you have a big TV in your house, because it just looks so great. And the cult, you know, the, the, um, the blood red is such a good contrast with the darkness of the house, but there's also, there's a lot of greens and blues. I mean, he just is such a visual filmmaker. So even if maybe, and I, and I think 
with the actors in this, and like you said, it's Victorian, so it feels a bit stiff. I think with lesser actors, some of this would come off as really corny, but because the actors are good and, and his direction is so good, it, it doesn't really feel corny. Does that make sense? Yeah, it doesn't feel corny to me either. Regarding the acting, and Jessica Chastain is terrific. She's really creepy. Um, I kept thinking that they must have wanted to get Eva Green and couldn't because they, uh, they just felt like they did everything they could to make Jessica Chastain come off as Eva Green, like the yeah. long black hair. And there's even something she's sort of doing with her eyes and expressions that was evocative of Eva Green to me. And her accent yeah. is fine, but it's a, sounds is a little distracting sometimes, you know? Yeah, Eva Green, Green would have been, I never thought about that before, but she would have killed it in this role as at, well. At first I was like, oh, it's Eva. I'm like, wait, that's not Eva. I was like, is that Jessica Chastain? You know, and then I was like, oh man. Well, she's, you know, famously a redhead. So it's interesting yeah. to see them. With the dark hair. You know, go the other direction with that play against i mean red would have worked i guess not with a blonde ingenue in that house you needed to she needed to be the raven evil sister or whatever right. and but i thought you know red clay red hair red house maybe it would be too maybe too, too much, much. <laughs> um you talked about the design with the ghosts with the long finger fingers and all that and that's very much a a design choice that Guillermo del Toro seems to do a lot. How familiar have you watched most of his other movies? I don't know about the most, but I've seen several of his other films. Did you see uh, Pan's Labyrinth? Yes. So, you know, you've got the, the creature with the eyes on his hands and, you know, he has those long fingers and, you know, so that seems to be, but, but like you said, with the, I'm thinking of the ghost, where like you said it's a little over to the top like there's the one that comes up from the floor and like its hands are and it's crawling along you know and half of its body's gone and everything yeah and the ghosts all look like the mutilated bodies of the people right yeah so it's like her mother's ghost the day they bury her her mother's ghost looked like a corpse that's been rotting in the sun for months like it's yeah I'm like, she's just what? So if they all look like, why does she just look like she did when they, when she died? The same and, but, thing. But with, these other ones are, their heads are all caved in and half of their face is missing. And you're like, they wouldn't just look like them. Like their spirit looks like their body. I mean, even the, the same thing with Tom Hiddleston. So spoiler alert, he dies and his ghost appears to her and he, you know, looks like he's been dead for a while. You know, he's not all super decayed, but it, he looks older, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, you know, there isn't a, you know, <laughs> there's not a ghost rule book on how it's supposed That's to true. work. Uh, I just felt like my, my one real criticism was the, the effects, which I was really looking forward to in a, in a Guillermo del Toro movie, they, they pushed everything else was pushed a little bit, was amped up a little bit. The Victorian style, the opulence, the mannerisms, all of this was, was punched up a little bit, but the, the effects, the creature effects were pushed to the nth degree. And I thought, maybe further than the rest of the movie. They still stood out in that way to me. And it's interesting because he has done a lot of practical effects in his movies. Um, so I think of Pan's Labyrinth where, you know, that was all people in costumes. I don't, I don't know that there was much CGI in that. And the same thing with the Hellboy movies, you know, it was actually Ron Perlman and all kinds of makeup and everything. So it's interesting that I remember at the time I watched some making of and it, I think it seems more CGI on screen than what it actually was. I think they, they did some practical effects and then it was sort of CGI over it, but I think it would have been just as good or better if it just would have been people in costumes. Yeah. 
you know yeah i don't know maybe he spent all his money on building the house yeah maybe i don't know i don't know or because they're ghosts he figured i don't know i don't know what he was thinking i don't know what goes on in his mind no no he's a (laughs) i mean the guy is a so for me he is one of the i'm predisposed to just to like just about anything that he does he's one of those directors for me that i just like his style so much that he's Edgar Wright is a, is a director that I feel that way about uh, Darren Aronofsky. You know, there's a few others where for me, a trailer could just be, you know, black screen, white text, the new movie by Guillermo del Toro. And I'm going to go see it. Sure. The only one that I didn't like was Pacific Rim. I don't know if you saw that one. Yeah, I did. But I thought it was terrible. Yeah. Um, but yeah. other than that, you know, um, uh, Pan's Labyrinth, I loved um, the uh, Pacific Rim was just a bunch. It was kaiju, right? It was just a bunch. Yeah, of and it was that thing of I, I know what they were trying to do, but it was that to me, like intentionally cheesy, where everybody talks with the tough guy voice, you know. And yeah, it, it was just. I mean, I get it that it's a giant monsters and giant robots that that's corny, but I don't know. It just. It, well, I it was, was like a comic book movie, but for anime, it's like, how do we, yeah. you know what I mean? But they don't, I don't think that mainstream culture has anime or manga. I don't even know what terms I'm talking about, but Japanese animation and not just the style, but the genre of the giant monster of which Godzilla is one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, I don't think that's as firmly embedded in the American psyche as, you know, Superman and Batman sure, and sure. Spider-Man. So I don't know that people registered as, oh, this is a comic book movie, but it's mm-hmm. like it's an anime, but with real life and CGI. So that style of like, you know, all right, T fall in, you know. Yeah, form up, you know, in the giant robots or just the idea of people piloting giant robots against giant monsters is a is a old trope in Japanese animation. But oh, sure. Maybe people I don't know, didn't know. They're like, what are we looking at here? People. I mean, it was popular enough that it got a sequel, which I never I never watched. I think it did well globally. Or I mean, you're right. It did well globally enough. But I think in in the US, people were kind of like, what's this? I don't know. I don't speak for the entire U.S. movie-going population. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then the uh, what is the? I, I'm drawing a blank on the title where the woman falls in love with the creature from the Black Lagoon, more or less. What's that one? That one best picture. Oh right, um, fish eggs. I don't know. I don't remember what that oh, was. Called. I, I never saw that actually. Oh, you you should watch that. I heard That's it was what... great. Yeah, it's basically the guy from Hellboy, isn't it? I mean, yeah, he's in in the movie. uh, Is it literally the same character, or is it just like he just no? He loved that design, and yeah, he loved that design. It's the same. It's the same actor. Uh, He's in. I he played some of the ghosts or all the ghosts in this as well. So he uses him over and over again. But um, the Shape of Water. I don't. I don't know why I couldn't think of the title, but. We could do that one on the show sometime as well, because okay. that was, you know, um, that's an interesting movie as well. So here's the interesting thing. Speaking of Aronofsky, uh, too, you haven't watched the Moses one either. I can't believe you haven't seen the Moses one. Noah, Noah. Noah, yeah. that's what I meant. Moses. Yeah, I, we could do that sometime uh, here, because, yeah, that's the only one that I've not seen. Next time you have eight hours to watch a movie, it's not that long, <laughs> but it's a big movie. You're like, God almighty. Biblical. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure I'd like it because I, now he is a director that. Yeah. You'd like it. Yeah. I really have loved everything that he's done. There's, there's nothing that he's done that I disliked. So there'll be some stuff that we can talk about, Mm -hmm. but uh, it is biblical in scope and the performances are like big sledgehammer. I mean, it's the old Testament. So Mm -hmm. he really, unleashes it so to speak and that's the thing i 
it's not typically that I think that's why I've kind of stayed away from it. It's not, I don't, the biblical epics are not something that I'm all that interested in, but I know his spin is going to be a little bit different than, you know, somebody else doing a biblical. Yes. Epic. Yes. It's the 10 commandments. It ain't. Uh, that's the interesting thing with him. Again, he's a director where, and I'm sure I've said this before on the show, but the wrestler, I don't want to watch a movie about a wrestler. It's great. <laughs> Black Swan. I don't really want to watch a movie about ballet. It's great. You know, so he, again, he's just like, hey, his next great. movie is going to be about a guy working in a bakery. Doesn't sound interesting, but it's Darren Aronofsky. I, so I, I don't like it. I know? was the same way going to Black Swan. I'm like, I'm, everybody was like, oh, Black Swan. And it was kind of like, hmm, I'll get around to watching it sometime. I wasn't excited about it. And I like Natalie mm-hmm. Portman. I like Aronofsky. Just the idea of it, but oh, it's about a ballerina. I just didn't get excited about it. We watched it for this show and I was like, man, that was really, really great. I mean, I, not for all moods. I'm not always in the mood to watch Black Swan. It's not, yeah, it's not something you just but, want to watch over and over. But I'm over glad again. I saw it. Yeah, yeah. So he, I, I, I have learned to never with him and I'm sure at some point, um, David Fincher used to be a director, which is like, oh, if David Fincher makes a movie, I'm going to go and see it. And then he's had some things that I haven't been all that interested in. But until Darren Aronofsky does a movie that I really dislike, it's just going to be like, well, I don't, doesn't, I don't know that it's something I want to see, but I'm going to watch it because it's Darren Aronofsky. Yes. So, um, so back to this, uh, what else do you want to say about, about Crimson Peak? Would you recommend this to people? I would. I would. I think if it was a friend asking me, I'd say, you know, I mean, maybe it was a little tired last night. I just felt a little slow to me. I do think if I'd have gone to the theater to see it, it would have been a superior viewing experience. That yeah. is a big, big scope. Did you watch it on a large TV or what did you watch it? I have a pretty big screen TV. Okay. Um, It's as big as bigger than anything I've had before. So that was the closest to a theatrical experience Mm -hmm. I was going to get, but I didn't like watch it on my phone or on my laptop or anything like that. It would lose a lot. Yeah. I can see that because the, I mean, the, the world is absolutely immersive and it's gorgeous and it's atmospheric and it's creepy. I, there's a part of me that felt like he could have told the same story in a tight hour 30. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just kind of kept it snapping along because I don't think it was as mysterious as maybe he thought it was being. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm just jaded. I don't know. I, I figured out what was going on pretty quick. Like the sister is openly hostile mm-hmm. from the very beginning yeah like what's her problem and it just doesn't change you know and so then you find it oh it's her and you're like yeah i mean i would have definitely i don't know if you feel the same but i would i think they could have cut 20 minutes out of the stuff with the dad and everything i mean i guess you're you know it's setting it up so you'll feel bad when the dad gets murdered i don't know but it's it's almost a different movie where it's yeah. all these little interactions between her yeah. and her father. And there's this music. The first you know, half is this kind of drawing room drama, Victorian yeah. drawing. And then, you know, a dashing young Englishman comes and everybody is, they waltz and he's charming and everybody's taken with him. The father's suspicious. Yeah. And then he gets, he, he has a kind of a PI go dig up dirt on him, finds out what's going on. And then he calls the guy's bluff and things kind of collapse there. Right. And he says, you have to leave. You have to break her heart. He does those things. The sister murders him. Next thing you know, she's falling into his arms and off they go. And then the second half of the movie is like, now we're in the haunted mansion, you know, and it was sort of like Mm -hmm. almost two books, two different books in the same set in the same time period, but of different genres. And in the beginning, we get a ghost thing as a hook. But then there's nothing else about ghosts until we get up to Crimson Peak. Right. Did you find the, the scene where the, the father is killed really shocking? That just, you know, you don't really have anything violent. And then it's just like, wham, 
they I thought that I was guess, pretty I guess I did. I, I guess the um the brutality of it felt very closer to Tarantino than yeah. Del Toro. Yeah. Uh, bashes his head against a porcelain sink in the corner until the corner of the sink cracks off like wham 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 kind of that's one of those things where his head yeah that's one of those movie almost kind of a trope thing where i wonder you know you see fight scenes where they take somebody you know they're in a bathroom and they smash their head against a urinal and it busts off or something. Could, I wonder if you could hit, obviously it would, at least in this movie, you know, it kills them, but you know, action, oh, but would it break the urinal? That, like that's I, my, you could yeah. kill somebody by slamming their head against that's, the urinal, but would the urinal yeah. break? That, that's pretty yeah, that's, serious. That, that's the thing I wonder or when they, you know, smash somebody's head into a wall and bust a hole in the wall. And stuff, and it's like, could a human skull actually do that? You know, well, it's one thing if it's drywall, right? Right, so right. You, you go through the drywall, but inevitably, they always punch through to the other side, and you're like, "So there's, I mean, I guess if there's no insulation, I just, don't, I you know, a wall isn't just stick frames with, you know, with drywall. There's stuff in between. I, I don't want to tell this story on the uh, show, but after. Remind when we finish, remind me to tell you a story about drywall. Um, okay, <laughs> along those lines, but uh, uh, yeah, that's one of those things. I, you know, it's kind of like again, it's very cinematic, but it's kind of one of those things of, of like, you know, when people get in a fight in a movie and they're just kicking each other in the face over and over again, and it's like, yeah, I've not been in a fight like that, but one kick with somebody, you know, in your face. <laughs> with somebody's boot or whatever right. and you probably would get back up you know no you you, you know you you it'd knock you out or give you a concussion you know some yeah. of these people come up and kick it like you're you know field goal kicking a football right you know and and they get up and shake it off and you're like i don't you know yeah. the <laughs> people abuse each other horribly in films not just superhero films well, I mean, look at the Indiana Jones movies too. And then they put in all the sound effects where it's like, you know, it's like, that doesn't sound what it sounds like when you punch somebody. It doesn't make yeah. a sound. It's, you know? Yeah, exactly. But so yeah, that's heightened. I've always wondered that it's like, could, could somebody actually hit a person's head on a porcelain sink and the sink break? I don't break think that sink. would happen. Yeah. It's just the force it would take. Right. And, and, Maybe she was furious. Maybe she has sort of supernatural rage. But this woman is maybe a buck 20. Maybe in her dress, you know, and she's like, she hulks on him. <laughs> Puts his head through the corner of the sink. Yeah. Ay, Dios mio. And then they go and look at the body and he's all smushed up. He's, yeah, he's really, really messed up. Um, we don't yeah, see his ghost. I would... I would recommend this. Um, I mean, especially if, if you like other Guillermo del Toro films, you know, things like Pan's Labyrinth and you haven't seen this, I would highly recommend it. Um, there are definitely people, I think, you know, if you're looking for some kind of a hardcore horror movie, this is not that. Um, there's spooky elements to it and some, you know, some bloody stuff, but it's, but it's more or less a mystery ghost story romance period. Piece. I thought Penn's Labyrinth was a superior film to this. Yes. I thought it was more upsetting and I thought it was more inventive. I think it's not just because I saw Penn's Labyrinth first, but in my mind, when we were talking about, um, Tim Burton and we, we, we did Edward Scissorhands, you know, Pan's Labyrinth to me was this very clearly in focus vision of his aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And this has all the hallmarks of his aesthetic, but there is, I didn't feel like there was any fat in Pan's Labyrinth and this felt no like there could be some trimming to this and not just in time, but in excess uh, uh, in a number of different choices across the board. 
you know, and I'm not saying he was not deliberate about it, but maybe now that he's a filmmaker, he's indulging himself in a way that I don't think makes as lean an experience from the audience. Yeah, yeah. Pan's Labyrinth is another one that I, I saw in the theater. Yeah. And it's a sad movie. Very. There's um, a deep sadness in this one too. Yeah. You know, for all the violence and fright it ends up just feeling like really sad mm -hmm. yeah you know she doesn't get to be with her love and i think that's a common theme the even the hellboy movies both of them there's a sadness to the loss the awareness of the loss and his sense of having lost his family and his people hellboy but i think that's a common theme with del toro yeah, that's a good point. I would agree. Um, the Hellboy movies, did you did you like them? Yeah, I did. Did you see the third one? Yeah, I did. That, you know, he wasn't involved with it all. It was okay. It was I okay. Didn't, and uh, you it know, wasn't I, I like horrific. David Harbour, but I, I don't think... Uh, oh, yeah. I just don't think it came together. Mm-mm. You know, there were some effects in it that I liked, and I think Harbor did a good job, and they just didn't come together. I Ron bet Perlman, this... I mean, come on, that's a hell boy. Like that casting is perfect. Oh, How yeah. are you gonna fill those shoes? And this is no slight against Harbor, but it's kind of like recasting Han Solo. You know, people the yeah. fans are gonna be like, nah, nah, nah. and it's a shame, you know, the first two. They just did okay money. They, you know, it wasn't like they were massive hits because, you know, Hellboy isn't Superman or Spider-Man. But the, my understanding is he wanted to do another one. Oh. And the studio, again, it comes down to the thing of everything has to make a billion dollars. And the studio was like, no, we're going to go another direction. And then he wins the Academy Award for Best Picture. <laughs> And now he has these deals with Netflix and, you know, because of that, like people started throwing money at him and I'm sure the studio was like, damn it, we should have let, you know, it's like, wow, we could have been like hell Hellboy from the guy who won the Oscar for best picture. Exactly. You know? That doesn't happen a lot with superhero movies. Netflix is probably a better fit for him though, because they have the money to throw at more fringe feeling stuff. Right. You know, and the studios don't risk that as often, right? I mean, they don't, they're not thinking about audiences that are willing to, you know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. Yeah. Go and see a property you can get your head around and enjoy your popcorn. And if you really love it, go see it again or go see it a third time. That's been one of the problems with him is most of his movies have, have not made a lot of money. Uh, for whatever reason, The Shape of Water, you know, um, critics liked it, obviously, because it won Best Picture and audiences seem to like it as well. But yeah, Netflix, I think, is a better Netflix or whatever streaming service, you know, he would get involved with. And he's producing a lot of stuff. He's He's a bit like Tarantino, where he has a lot of projects that he's always talking about and gets involved in and a lot of them fall through. Like, I don't know if you saw any of, uh, um, there was talk of Tarantino doing a Star Trek movie. Oh, I heard a mumble about that. I and guess. it's just like, just, just let him do it. Just be like, here's a bunch of money, make a Star Trek movie. You know, it just, it'll be interesting. It seems like, yeah, it you seems know? like, and I think he was going to make it rated R, which, you know, isn't really necessary with with Star Trek, but. No, I mean, I feel like at that point, I would say, why? Why do you want to make a Star Trek movie? Like, I'm not saying don't or it'll be bad. I'm just curious. Yeah. Why? Why do you want to make a Star Trek movie? I'm, it is so PG in my mind. Um it's such a nerdy academic undertaking. I love it. I love Star Trek, but mm -hmm. even the even the the newer ones with J.J. Um, Abrams, those are at least PG thirteen, right? I mean, people get sucked out into space and right kill each other, and they're like more legit action movies. 
And I enjoy those movies. Mm-hmm. But if you go back to the original Roddenberry Star Trek TV show, it was G. I mean, there was no, oh, yeah. you know what I mean? People would get zapped with a ray of light and they'd fall down. And you'd be like, oh, no, he's dead. If that was upsetting to you, that's as bad as it got, you know. But right. And I don't I don't know exactly, you know, I've, I've just read a little bit about it. So I don't maybe he lost interest in it. I don't you know, I don't know if it was the studio, but I feel like one, that's one of those things where a director director like Quentin Tarantino, if, if you know, if he's like, hey, I want to do a Star Trek or, hey, I want to do the next Star Wars or whatever. You just say, OK, how much money do you need? Let's do it. <laughs> you know, Um now, though, with those properties, I think that the studios, they're their tent poles and mm-hmm. they are protective of it. Yeah. So Disney, as crazy as they're going with the Star Wars thing now, I think they have a lot of meetings about the direction they want to, you know, branch that out into. Did you see that they um, one of the they were going to do a, like Rogue Squadron or something like that that was going to be a Star Wars just about the pilots and that one seems to have kind of fallen through that was going to be one of the next uh, no but didn't in the Mandalorian or something one there a couple of like Rogue Squadron pilots that sort of on the one on the ice planet they either sort of chase him in there or they pull him out and I yeah. felt that was a little litmus test in the water to see how that played. Like, would you watch a show about these guys? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Did you feel that too? Yeah. The yeah. kind of comedy that was kind of punch and John, you know, mm-hmm. they were kind of like, Oh, uh, it was going around the back. All right. I got him. Here's you know, <laughs> it was like yeah, yeah. in the cockpit with these two. That makes me think, have you seen the trailer for the Boba Fett show? Have you watched that? No. I oh, mean, nice. is that not the one that, the mini thing that was yeah, teased. Yeah, that's the they... one that's coming up. No, yeah, but they so... have a trailer for it or something now. There's a trailer for that. And there's a little teaser for the Obi-Wan Kenobi show too. I've seen so... the teaser. It's about six. Sec- I mean, it's, there's nothing. It's a yeah. couple of different, but there's one where there's uh, it's like a few minutes long where it's just, it's more interviews than anything. It's, it's, uh, um, it's you uh, and McGregor, you know, talking about it. And they're bringing Hayden Christensen back to be Darth Vader, that. which yeah, I'm not sure that. how that's going to work exactly. But, you know, that'll be interesting. And um, I, I feel like, you know, it's just Darth Vader is. If you're going to milk, you know, your property, keep using Darth Vader, basically. Absolutely. You know? You can find, I still say, I know I've said this a hundred times. I still say, I wish I could pitch a series or a movie to them where it's just Darth Vader. It's just, Hey, it's the Darth Vader show. And it's just, there's some Jedi that are on various planets and it's just him hunting them down. You know, basically they have to be thinking about it. There's a Darth I would Vader so. comic book, right? That's a oh, popular sure, sure. comic in the canon. So, but you know, a, a feature length or a, a series length thing of basically the last five or 10 minutes of uh, rogue one where he's just, you know, wiping out people who wouldn't watch that. You know, you don't especially, even have to have a complex story, especially since I feel like the, um, the transition from Anakin to Darth Vader in those prequels was unsatisfying. Yes. Right. I mean, I really wanted to feel the emperor's seduction of him and the way in which that vulnerable personality sort of was bent into that shape, culminating in his maiming and then the loss of Padme. And I didn't get that. So, I mean, it would be neat. You don't just, oh, now he's in the suit. Now he's just this ultimate. No, there's still evolution to happen there. You know, I feel, and you know, it's a dark story. Like remember James Earl Jones, that characterization of Darth Vader was scary. Like he was not goofing around. He wasn't a nice guy. He's like, well, you got to be tough on these kids. No, he was. Everyone's terrified of Darth Vader. And I think they 
with Rogue One, I think whoever it was that directed that or wrote it was just like, hey, we want to remind everybody that Darth Vader used to be scary. You know, when you first saw him up, up until Jedi, basically, you were afraid of him. Um, and I think they recaptured that really well. Yeah, it was it was delicate because you need to, um, you know, I never thought of that character as an action, not hero, but an action movie character because mm-hmm. he was so mostly he was so big and stiff and still, you know, he didn't yeah. he didn't run. And it, it played like because he can't be bothered to hurry, but it also a little bit looked like, oh, well, the actor playing him is too big to run. <laughs> like he can't run for some reason, you know, it, it mm-hmm. sort of just was like the suit is incredibly tight, you know, but. But there was this power in that restraint of the I don't need to hurry. I'm Darth Vader. I'll I'll get you. I could crush you with my mind, you know. Mm-hmm. One of my and I imagine also, you know, we, is, is that I find your lack of faith disturbing. I just. Oh, yeah. And I think that's one of those things that we saw later with the prequels, that that was a bit of a happy accident. where almost like Jaws, you know, the shark not working in Jaws um, with Vader. You know, you, you could see in the prequels what. Lucas wanted the Jedi to be where you have Yoda jumping around, you know, and spinning and all that kind of stuff. And I think if, you know, if Lucas had had the technology in 1977 to have Vader flipping around in the air and doing somersaults and everything, he probably would have. He probably would have too. And I think it was a great case of the technology, the limits of the technology making it actually better. But I I love that Vader in that original thing is he's a big Frankenstein character. Yeah, he's he looks eight feet tall uh, and he's sort of stiff and slow. And the the vocal performance that James Earl Jones gives it proves that he's. uh, Intelligent, you know, he's not slow minded. He just Mm -hmm. seems like this big imposing thing. And you're like. Your first impulse as a child watching it is, oh, he couldn't catch me. And then you think, oh, he doesn't need to. <laughs> you know, he doesn't need to catch me. He could just, it's Frankenstein that you don't, you don't have a chance of running. You could run away from Frankenstein, but you can't run away from Darth Vader because he just could yeah. zaps you with his mind. Exactly. You know? And then he cuts you with this laser sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. For sure. Yep. Um, Crimson Peak, ladies Crimson and gentlemen. Crimson Peak. Yeah. <laughs> Circle back to Crimson Peak. I know we've gotten far, but I, there, I oh, guess well. we didn't have a lot to say about this we one. We talked about it. I don't it know. Good. I mean, sometimes we talk for an hour about the movie. Sometimes we talk for half an hour about the movie. And we didn't talk about other stuff. Have you watched anything else recently that captured your attention, your your imagination? I haven't really. I haven't been doing a lot of watching um, of stuff. I watched the first episode of the Blade Runner show that's on Adult Swim. How is it? It's good. Um, So as animated, it's all animated, right? It's animated and it's, I am not a giant computer animation fan. I definitely, what I, so there's, uh, I don't know if they've released any more, but I think they did the thing that they're kind of commonly doing now where they'll release a couple of episodes. You know, if, if it's something where they're not gonna dump them all at once, they release a couple of episodes. And I've only hooked. watched, yeah, I've only watched the first one though. And I enjoyed it because I just, the that Blade Runner universe, I think is really cool. And they do a good job of, so it's it's totally new characters that we don't, that we're not familiar with. And they, but they do a good job of, doing some nods to the original film without hitting you over the head with it. When is it in the Blade uh, Runner timeline? I mean, is it Decker or is it old Decker or is it later than that? Or is it earlier than that? I think it's, I think it's, so Decker's what, like 2019 or something like yeah. that or 20. So Blade I later th- on was 2019 and then 2049 was the second. I, I think this, 39. as I recall, I think it was 2035. 
I believe. So it's kind of in the middle, I think. I don't don't quote me on that, but but my my only criticism of it would be the w- with that computer animation, it feels a bit like you're watching video it's like video game cutscenes, you know. It it had that feeling to me where it's like you're just watching scenes from a video game. Um and some of the voice acting, I don't know if it originally was um i mean it's definitely a japanese production um because i watched uh, they also had a a making of thing where you can use interviews with the creators and they're all japanese um and so i don't know if the dialogue was originally recorded recorded in japanese and then they dubbed it but some of the voice acting is again feels kind of video game like if if it if it were recorded in Japanese I'd rather just be Japanese with subtitles honestly because yeah. like I say the 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 act the voice acting is and some of it is not super great but I mean I'll, I don't know how many episodes it, it is but I'll watch the rest of it is the voice um, acting done by anybody known like any I names? didn't look it up but it um I didn't recognize any of the voices so I don't I don't know if it's if it's Sometimes it's, you know, it's written in Japanese and then they translate it to English and the translation is a little stiff. And then they get a day player in. they get people in rather than hiring, you know, the voices you might be familiar with, they hire cheaper talent. And I don't mean to cast any aspersions on cheaper talent per se, but it's, it's hurried, it's rushed. So they get the script and they, they do it and then they get paid and they go home and then there isn't any time for the material to marinate and they don't do it together. You know, you're not in a studio acting with other people. You're just, you get male voice one, he might do three people and you get female voice one and she might do three people. And then there's another guy and another girl and that's the whole cast. Right. So it's like there's might even be scenes when you're acting opposite yourself doing two different voices separately. And it just creates a kind of a all that considered people are very good at it. Uh, but it, it does. When you're used to watching a movie like Blade Runner, where the performers are performing together and there's a rehearsal process and they were a part of the whole deal. You know, the person is not, hasn't even always seen the they don't always show you what you're recording. Some of the actors are Asian and I, I don't recognize them, but then there's like Wes Bentley is in it. And uh, I never know how to pronounce this guy's name, Josh Dumel, D-U-H-A-M-E-L. Um, I don't know how you pronounce that guy's name, but uh, so yeah, it's definitely, it's a mixture of, of I, I guess, Japanese actors and American actors. So maybe that's part of why it, it seems a little bit weird, but it's only, it's 13 episodes. I thought maybe it was going to be like a six episode thing, but, um, and it only, it only has 277 ratings on IMDb with a 5.6, which I would rate it higher than that. But I, I, you know, it's not amazing, but I like Blade Runner. So yeah. I think I would, I would recommend check it out. One evening. I would recommend it. And they're only 22 minute episodes. Yeah. You know, so I, w- I have been watching more of the Venture Brothers. I've been enjoying oh, that. How good. It does get even halfway through season one. That's already started to get better and better. Like it you finds get to where quickly. <laughs> you get to where the, the animation gets really good. And that was the only, I mean, it wasn't their fault, but that was the only, the only kind of, it, it's great. I think to be able to just watch it all at once because uh, I don't, it started in like, 2000 or something like that and ran you know i mean it was almost like 15 20 years because it would take them you know they would a season would come out and they'd be like okay the next season is in three years you know because it was i think it was just so difficult to make but it's i'm sure you're probably seeing there's references to so many things and the it's really dense writing you know for an animated show simpler early on early on they're just having a lot more genre fun with you know certainly in the pilot they're just poking a lot of fun at period tropes and you know he creates a a weapon that he has at the he's just 
playing at the World's Fair, and it's clearly a laser, you know, that he has mounted up. And for whatever reason, the target is a little model of a city, and he fires and it just obliterates the city. And there's a general right there at his sleeve, and we're interested in purchasing your technology. (laughs) (laughs) And he's just like, I don't know why the military would be interested in this. What applications the military would have for this, but hey, your money's green. You know, and they're just having fun with the very broad strokes of like the time period and gender roles. And then, mm-hmm. but, but that's, they, it starts to subvert even itself. I'm maybe six or seven episodes in and it's already getting richer mm-hmm. as this all starts to marinate. And I'm excited to see it keep going because it's already thoroughly enjoyable. Good. Yeah. I, I, that's a show I would definitely think you would like. And that's a show with fantastic voice acting. Yeah. So like Brock, uh, who is the, whatever that guy's name is, who was the tick, you know, and was yeah. on Se- putty on Seinfeld and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That he's guy's guy awesome. Kind of talks like this. Yeah. <laughs> he's just awesome. Oh, and yeah, I don't yeah, know. Okay. Uh, <laughs> his delivery is just so perfect. And I don't know. I need to, that's a show that I just need to go back and start at the beginning, just rewatch all of it. Cause it's so rewatchable, but have you gotten into like, is there Dr. Girlfriend in it? And yeah, Phantom Dr. Limb. Girlfriend. Have you seen Phantom I Limb? I told you I didn't <laughs> want to do that anymore. Yeah. I love the villains in it. They're, so, they're such head cases. Yeah. The monarch. The monarch. Weirdo. It's so great. Yeah. I like Dr. Phantom girlfriend. Limb. She's got the pillbox cap. She looks like Jackie O basically. And I don't understand that... why you're constantly <laughs> bothering me about this. <laughs> that's perfect. That's a spot on. That's great. Oh, and the uh, the guy that's like Doctor Strange, uh, have, has he been in any episodes? Yes, yet? yes. Yeah. And his emo daughter, like his. Yeah, yeah. And there's a guy who's like Blade, and um, yeah, like a seventies yeah, Blade. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's a, so that's been a lot of fun. I mean, that's hardly a new thing. What do we, uh, what do we want to do for next time? So we talked about angel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested to see that one. It's got a, um, salacious looking cover, but you said you saw it and it was surprising in a number of ways. Yeah. That I, I thought spoil it, but yeah, very yeah. different than what I, cause it was one of those films we can get into this next week, but that as a kid, I always, again, the salacious cover art. And I always thought this movie was a movie that I just always thought like, I don't, that's going to be really nasty and, you know, disturbing and spoiler alert. It's kind of not in ways it is, but anyway, that is available. uh, If anybody wants to watch it and not pay for it, it's on Tubi, T-U-B-I with ads. So that's how I watched it. And there are sequels too, which I, I don't think the sequels are too great, but, but it's an inner, I think there will be a lot to talk about with this one. It's, it's an interesting film that subverts your expectations, I would say. So let's do that for next time. And then down the road, we also, we've talked about Aronofsky. We talked about, uh, what was the other one we just said? Uh, Pan's Labyrinth. We were going to do Pan's Labyrinth. Labyrinth. We yeah. were going to do Pan's some Labyrinth. Other... So oh, no, we kind of water, shape of water, shape of water. Yeah. Although we could do Pan's Labyrinth. Pan is great. It was a great oh, yeah. movie. It almost would... doesn't deserve our. I mean, we do all different kinds of movies, but Pan's Labyrinth is just like that's great. that's highbrow. It's a great movie. Yeah. Yeah. We for people who haven't watched or listened, we kind of vacillate between some really bad stuff sometimes and some some highbrow things on occasion so we're all over yes, the place yes we've done dune twice we've done dune twice Two we did the dunes. lighthouse you know so we've done some very artsy artsy things but and then we this movie that we're going to do next week is not artsy not artsy not so. artsy okay chris and chris talk movies at gmail.com we are on youtube we're on your podcast thingamajigger mm-hmm. um we're on the socials you can tweet at us or chirp at us or email us or whatever you feel at like. us exactly we pr- pretty much there and you can say this show is great and we'll say thanks man that's nice to hear 
and you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, whether you watch anything or not. And that would help us get to, a lot. Oh yeah. That would help us a lot. So do that please. And by once you're subscribed, why don't you watch the shows as well? Exactly. And we up, we add videos every week and podcasts every week. So yeah, we've got a pretty good amount of content now that um, we've been doing this I'm for adding a while. A, yeah, I'm adding a couple of videos a week because we're going back and putting old stuff up on YouTube. So I'm adding a couple of videos a week. So. That's a nice. That's a very nice. Today, okay. Flash Gordon went up on YouTube. Oh, Flash. The audio, if I remember correctly, my audio isn't all that great on Flash Gordon, but it, we had a lively conversation about it. Yes. I believe so. Um, great. Well, it's always a pleasure. We're going to watch Angel for next time, which is 1983. 83, I think. right. Um, such interesting time for movies. Those early 80s were just crazy bonkers. Excuse me. Crimson it's Peak. Indeed. Check it out. It's um, on Netflix. On Netflix. So there you go. And um, anything else before we sign up? No. I think that's it. Great night for me either. We will talk to you next week.